Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, as we look to your word this morning, we pray that you will open our eyes, open our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a story of a president of a well-known theological college. He was downtown one evening when he came across a lady who was a volunteer from the Salvation Army. And this lady, she was holding a box asking for donation. And so this president was kind of feeling generous that evening, so he decided to give, you know, to give a contribution, uh, to put in a contribution. And the lady, instead of saying thank you, she asked him a very blatant question. She asked him, are you saved? The president said, mm, well, I suppose I am. And the lady wasn't satisfied with that answer. You mean, suppose you are? And she pursued further. I mean, she said, do you truly believe in Jesus? And have you truly given your life to the Lord? And it was at this moment, the president thought, oh, yeah, this lady, yeah. I think I better tell her who I am. And so he told her, you know, I am the president of this theological college. And the women looked at him and said, it's okay, you can still be saved. You know, the reason I began with this story is because I see that there are some similarities between this president and Nicodemus, whom we find in John chapter 3. Now, who is this guy, Nicodemus? Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Not only is he a Pharisee, he is also a member of the Jewish ruling council. And this would mean that he is part of the highest and most powerful religious and political body within Judaism. It also means that he would know all the laws, probably memorized by heart. And so if we want to talk about credential, this guy has it all. Nicodemus, he had great and excellent credentials. And as a Jewish religious teacher, Nicodemus claims that he sees and knows something about the kingdom of God. He comes to Jesus and he says to him, okay, this is not working. He comes to him and he says to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. So based on all the miraculous signs that Jesus had performed, he claims, Nicodemus claims to know something about the kingdom of God which in a sense is not wrong because it is indeed through his miraculous sign that Jesus revealed his glory. When Jesus turned water into wine, just the previous, 
just a chapter before this, John chapter 2, when Jesus turned water into wine, John says in this verse, This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put his faith in him. If you read towards the end of John chapter 2, John says it again. He says, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. So likewise, Nicodemus sees all this and he says to, the, to Jesus, you are from God. He seemed to be quite impressed by Jesus and the signs that he was doing. For a leader of a Sanhedrin who is the highest and most powerful religious body to come to Jesus who is just a carpenter and to address him as rabbi and to acknowledge that he has come from God is no small matter. But in spite of Nicodemus's complimentary remarks or comments, Jesus reveals to him three truths about the kingdom of God. Number one, he says this to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, what did Jesus mean when he says to Nicodemus that you need to be born again? You see, he doesn't say it to the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman, you found it in the chapter after this, John chapter 4. There, you don't, don't see Jesus saying this to the women, but he says this to Nicodemus. You must be born again. Now, why? And Nicodemus here obviously doesn't really understand what Jesus is saying. You know, how can a man be born again when he is old? Surely he cannot enter again into his mother's womb. But Jesus wasn't referring to physical birth at all. And the word again here means from above. And that is what kind of blew Nicodemus away because he has always believed that by being born a Jew, he is already part of the kingdom of God. He believed that by being born a Jew, he is already saved. But Jesus says to him, no, you need to be born again. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. First, Jesus says you cannot see. Now, he says you cannot enter. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of spirit. Friends, salvation comes from above. Salvation is never based on our background. It is never based on our history or our tradition. It is never based on our family roots. Salvation is never based on what we do or how we behave. It is never based on how many Sundays I have attended church. And my friends, salvation is never based on someone else's faith. 
You see, our parents or our grandparents, you know, they would have had faith in Jesus and they would have believed in Jesus. But that does not automatically make us believers. You know, we cannot piggyback, you know, on someone else's faith. A lot of other things you can piggyback. This one, you cannot piggyback, right? Salvation, you cannot piggyback, okay? You cannot piggyback on someone else. So we need to always remember that salvation comes from above and salvation comes by believing in Jesus. There is no other way. The only way that salvation comes to us is by believing in Jesus. Now, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? And we will actually find this word believe repeated a number of times in this passage, John chapter 3. And of course, we find the word believe in the most famous verse. What is the most famous verse? John 3.16, the most, when we evangelize to people, we use this verse, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You want to read it together with me? For God so loved the world that he gave one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And if we check the Greek dictionary, okay, the word believe here, it means faith. Correct, right? Faith. And there's another word that was there when I checked it. And that word was entrust. So, it is not just, okay, I believe you, Jesus. But it is, okay, I believe you, Jesus, and I entrust my life to you. It is something like this, if I may use this illustration, which I got it from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said, if you are given a rope, if each of us are given a rope, and we are told many things about this rope, how strong it is, and then you have this rope in your hands, and as you are listening to this person describing this rope, and you are also examining this rope, yeah, correct, what you say, very, very strong and very thick. Correct what you have said. Now, if you were to use this rope as long as to just to tie boxes, okay lah, I can tie the boxes all. But if I were to ask you, hang yourself over the cliff with that rope, you will do more investigations, right? Whether you would actually hang on that rope. It's easy to say that we believe in the rope as long as it is used to tie boxes. But if we were to place our entire body weight, you know, I very heavy, you know, on that rope. I think I will also think twice, uh, not only you, uh, all right? But that is what it means, actually, to entrust our lives to Jesus. We hang our life entirely on Jesus. You know, if, if, if that rope, you know, represents Jesus, and we know a lot of things about Jesus, you know, we read about his miracles in the gospel, we read about his life, his work in the Bible, and we examine and investigate the passages in the Bible. You know, one of the things that we do in seminary is we investigate and investigate and investigate, you know, and we come to a conclusion, just like Nicodemus come to a conclusion, ah, Jesus is from God. But would we hang our lives on that? 
That is what it means to truly entrust our lives to Jesus. And my friends, you will very quickly realize that the act of believing and the act of entrusting our lives to Jesus is not a one-off occasion. Rather, it is a lifelong journey. Now, it is more than saying sinner's prayer. You know sinner's prayer? Some of us tend to think that we say the sinner's prayer once, right? When did you say the sinner's prayer? Oh, I said it when I was 10 years old. I said it when I was in youth camp, you know, when, you know, at the, at the last session, uh, when the speaker did the altar call, you know, the music was so loud, and, you know, I was I really, I gave my life, I said the sinner's prayer, youth camp. Oh, I said, you know, when I, I said it in university, you know, I studied there, got CF there, you know, I said the sinner's prayer. Then I said it when I was. But how about now, my dear friends? Are we still believing in Jesus? Are we still entrusting our lives to him? You know, when we are faced with a decision to make, when we are presented with an opportunity in life, when we are challenged by our circumstances, when we are suffering from our pain, when we, are su when we f suddenly find ourselves, you know, or we suddenly find our body plagued with an incurable disease. You know, as I was preparing this, I was reminded of one of my previous members in Kampa Wesley. This lady, I think she, she was above 70, 70 years old and above. All right, she's a very active lady. The way she walked, you wouldn't know that she is so old. All right, she walks faster than you and she probably can run also. And she, she's a very small-sized lady, and she's always in the church kitchen. You know, she's just part of the fellowship team. And she's always there, you know, helping out. So very fast, she will, very fast. All her life, never got admitted to hospital. That was what told to me. All her life, never got admitted to hospital. And suddenly, suddenly, she started to become very weak, very tired. You know, out of nowhere, she was very tired. And because her brother-in-law was a doctor, they decided to send her for a chest x-ray. And when the chest x-ray came back, it was said that she had nodules in her lungs. Now, I'm, and I had to ask, what does that mean? Because, you know, I don't know medical term. And they said, if, if there is, okay, doctors, if you're doctors here, you would know if, if there is nodules, means somewhere else in the body has cancer, correct? So she had to go for a CT, CT scan and it was discovered that she had end-stage ovarian cancer. End-stage. And the doctors, and she asked the doctor, how long do I have to live? The doctor said, you have three months to live. Three months. Everybody in church in Kampa Wesley was shocked with this news. She herself was also shocked. And there was this time where... Um, her CG members went to her house to visit her. They went there thinking, you know, they were thinking before they go, they were thinking, you know, how should we encourage this lady, you know? She's sick, uh -huh, how to encourage? But when they went, they were encouraged by her because she stood up, she was in her home and she stood up with her hand holding up. She said, I will still believe in Jesus. 
and the CG members left the house feeling very encouraged by her instead of her encouraging, instead of us encouraging her, we were encouraged by her. And this lady actually lived for two months only. Doctor said she could live for three months, but she, she passed away two months after it was discovered that she was, after she discovered that she had cancer, she lived only for two months. And at the funeral, her, her other siblings were not Christians. And her brother came to me and said, Pastor, I have, I'm just surprised, that was his word, I'm surprised to see how peaceful my sister is. How is it that she can just let go of everything and go back to God? This comes from a non-Christian brother who sees, who saw how this lady responded to sickness. Just came from nowhere. And the thing that comforted the family members during the funeral comforted the family members was the fact that she passed away peacefully, still holding on to faith in Jesus. So when our body suddenly, out of nowhere, is plagued with sickness, are we still entrusting our lives to Jesus? You see, believing and entrusting our lives to Jesus is a life long journey. Would we embark on that journey? You see, Nicodemus, uh, although we here in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, although we don't really see his response, okay, we don't read about his response, but if we read the entire book of John, we will find uh, glimpses of Nicodemus uh, changing and entrusting his life. First, we find him we find him standing up for justice on behalf of Jesus. You know, when the chief priest wanted to arrest Jesus and condemn Jesus, Nicodemus actually spoke up. Not your conclusion, read on. Nicodemus speak up and said, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? You know, Nicodemus went at night, right? In Cantonese, they say, went at night to go and see Jesus. But here, he actually questioned uh, the council. And if we read further on, uh, in, uh, we will find that he is no longer afraid to stand up for Jesus uh, compared to, you know, John chapter 3. Because you read this, John chapter 19, Verses 39. Here, John chapter 19, this time he was assisting in Jesus' burial. Okay? And it wasn't like he was assisting, assisting uh, in the background, you know. He was assisting in the burial of Jesus right in the presence of Jesus. Because if you look at the text, it says when Jesus died, if you look at that part, John chapter 19, when Jesus died, it te- the text tells us that Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. And it says that with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. And this verse says, after that, he was accompanied by Nicodemus. Nicodemus accompanied Joseph. It means when Joseph went to, the, went to Pilate, 
he went with him. When Joseph came to take the body of Jesus away, he was also with him. Nicodemus accompanied Joseph and he did all that he did in the presence of people. Now, come to think about it. In John chapter 3 here, he went at night, right? He wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't want people to see him talking to Jesus. He was afraid to be seen associating with Jesus because he was part of the Jewish ruling council. He was a religious teacher, so he comes at night when no one sees so that his position and his identity would not be threatened. But here, Nicodemus was willing to take the risk. He was willing to abandon his position because he would be seen as going against the council by assisting and supporting Jesus in this manner. And so, friends, what was our first point? Salvation comes from above. Salvation then comes by believing in Jesus. And thirdly, salvation comes to redeem us. To redeem us. If you look at verses 17 and 18, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now, we need to understand that we are condemned because of sin. Some of our friends who who don't know Christ or who have yet to believe in Jesus, they will tend to come and tell us, Christian people always say uh, that if we don't believe in Jesus, uh, we will go to hell. Familiar or not? If you don't believe in Jesus, uh, we will go to hell. Does that sound familiar? But friends, we need to firstly understand that we go to hell because of sin. The very presence of sin in our lives sends us to hell. Jesus does not send us to hell. He came to pull us out of hell. Because all of us, by our human nature, which is sinful, we are already going to hell. It is sin that condemns us to hell, not Jesus. You look at the verse again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So next time when your friend comes and tells you, you Christian people say uh, that if I don't believe in Jesus, I will go to hell. You tell the friend, you put yourself in it. You say, we we go to hell because of sin. Jesus has come to pull us out of hell. That's a different in understanding. You get what I mean? Put yourself in it. Because we are all part of it. Because of sin, all of us, including me, we go to hell. But Jesus has come to pull us out of hell. And you know, there was this war story. You know, This war story was told to me by Pastor Ronald. 
So I'm going to, he's not here, so I'm going to use his story with his permission, of course. And so he, he, he said, you can, I can use it. Okay, fine. So he, he gave me this war story, which I, I put some salt and pepper, lah, huh? okay? So it's this war story. He said, during war, we, we all know, right, during war, many people were sick. Many people are sick, are sick, and then many people are injured during wartime. But besides being sick and besides being injured, Food was very limited during wartime, correct? You understand that? So people began to steal food from the storehouse. And because of that, the food supply was finishing. The general thought to himself, if this continues, if people keep stealing, then all of us won't have enough food. And so he came up with a law. And he called everyone together and he said, food will be distributed to everyone. Don't steal. Okay? And if anyone is caught to be stealing, person will be given 40 lashes. Okay? Things were going on fine for a few weeks and after some time, the soldiers realized that, hey, someone is stealing again. But who? Who is stealing from our storehouse? And they actually managed to catch the person. And so they came to the general. He said, sir, we have one good news and one bad news. And so, general, wartime, every day is bad news. Okay, give me the good news. Okay, give me the good news. The good news is, sir, that we caught the thief. And so, ah, oh, good. Now that we can solve the problem of food disappearing, and tell me, what is the bad news? Huh? The bad news is, sir, the thief is your mother. It is your mother who had been stealing from the storehouse. And the general took a deep breath. All eyes were fixed on him. What is he going to do? What is he going to say? And after a few minutes of silence, the general spoke up. She will be given 40 lashes. Bind her and put her in prison, and the punishment will be executed tomorrow morning, just like I have said. That night, everyone in the village could not sleep. How is this old lady going to survive 40 lashes? And the next morning came and the generous mother was brought in and tied up. And just about the time when the soldiers were going to whip her, he shouted across, hold on! And the soldier just froze. And the general got up and took off his uniform and he actually put his arms around his mother as if he's hugging her. Hugging her. He used his body to cover the body of his mother, and the punishment was then executed. Friends, we are condemned because of sin. Jesus did not come to condemn us. He came to cover us with his body and with his blood. He came to redeem us. Salvation comes to redeem us, and he doesn't come to condemn us. So now that we know that salvation comes from above, we know that salvation comes to those who believe and entrust their lives in him, 
and we know that salvation comes to redeem us, how then shall we respond? We need to be ready to embrace Jesus, who is our Savior. You see, Jesus died for the world. His blood was shed for the world. You see, our sin demands a ransom. It has to be paid. And we obviously cannot pay for it. Jesus paid the ransom for all of us. And we need to understand that there is nothing we can do in order to be saved. We are saved purely by what Jesus has done for us. We are saved purely by the grace and mercy of God. And the one thing we can do is to believe and entrust our lives to Jesus. Would we do that? Let's go back to the story I began with. You know, you know the question that the women asked? Can you remember the question that the women asked the president of the theological school? The question is, are you saved? And the president said, I suppose I am. And then he went on to notify the woman of his eloquent position. Now, if someone were to ask us the same question, are you saved? What would we, how would we answer that question? How would we know for sure that God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us, hence we are saved? Well, we can be sure that because the Bible tells us, ma, right? John 3, 16, hate knowledge. Bible tells me Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Hate knowledge. But the Bible also says in Romans 8, 16, that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, what this means is that the assurance of salvation is experienced in the inner being. Yes, we know in our mind, because the Bible tells us so, that Jesus loves us and we are saved, but we need to experience it in our hearts. And that's what exactly happened to John Wesley when he talked about his Altersgate experience. You see, John Wesley was a person who really studied the Bible. In fact, he was a theologian. John Wesley, you know John Wesley, right? He was a theologian. But although he had studied so much of the Bible, there was one point, in, one point of time in his life where he doubted his salvation. Go read his autobiography, you will know. He doubted his salvation. He asked himself the question, am I really saved? And so with this question still plaguing his mind, he was asked to go to a society. And he went very unwillingly to the society at Altersgate Street. At there, at that gathering, he was there, and there was one guy, one man, who was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans. Wasn't reading Romans, huh? he was reading the preface. You know preface is the... the first few pages, the introduction. He was reading the preface to the book of Romans. And it was then that it was said that his heart was strangely warmed. 
And he said, I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he, Jesus, has taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Friends, more than knowing it in our mind, we need to experience it in our hearts. And if any one of us who are sitting here this morning, if you are feeling a little not sure, you know, we have been so busy. We are busy with work. We are busy with family. And sometimes we are busy in church. Church activity. So many activities. And if you are sitting here and you are feeling not sure, I pray that God's Spirit will testify with our spirit and affirm us within that we are indeed children of God. Pray, my friends, pray and ask the Lord to impress upon your heart that indeed you belong to him. Ask the Lord to take you into a deeper level of understanding. And trust me, when you do that, he will honour that prayer. Let us pray. Abba Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending him to save us and to pull us out of hell. And Lord, we pray that you will indeed give us the grace to daily believe in him and to daily entrust our lives to him, no matter what comes our way. And Father, we pray that your spirit will testify with our spirit and affirm us and give us, Lord, that blessed assurance that Jesus is ours and that we are his. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please rise.